How many of you would be honest? I've asked this question every week. And I've noticed the hands go up a little bit more every week as people get comfortable with this series and comfortable with this terminology. But you'd be honest. Because the fact of the matter is we've all done it, but everybody won't be honest about it. There's been a time in your life where you say, I hate people. Yeah, me too. I'm not proud of it. I'm actually kind of somewhat ashamed of it. I don't like it. It upsets me to know that I allow the actions of a certain few people to make me hate the entire human race. It actually makes me sad to know that I allow a certain few people to put me in such a mind frame that I want to live my life in such an unbiblical way. And when we live our life saying we hate people, man, there's really not much we can do that is more contrary to the Word of God than that statement. The Bible says this in Mark 12, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. He says, love God with everything that you are. God doesn't want 80% of you. God doesn't want 99% of you. He says, I am a jealous God. He says, I want all of you. And what we like to do is we like to give God part of us, but God says we're to love him with every bit of us, with our, with our physical aspect of our mind, with our mental, our emotional, with our spiritual. God says, I want all of your love. And then he comes back and says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. You want to sum up this book, you can go to churches all over this county today and they can complicate this book. They can break it down in the Hebrew and they can break it down in the Greek and they can wow you with their education that they got at cemetery, excuse me, seminary. But at the end of the day, this book can be summed up in two phrases. Love God, love people. I always get a kick. Will you let me? There's going to be a lot of venting today. Going to be a lot of chasing squirrels today. A lot of sidetracking today. I always get a kick when people leave Action Church. And not, man, God moves people. Some because I prayed that God would move them. But I always get a kick when people decide, man, Action's at the church when they decide to go somewhere else and they go somewhere else and they're like, I, I just needed something deeper. And I always think to myself, you needed something deeper. You can't even do the two simple things he says to do, love God and love people. Yet we want to get deeper. Now here's the deal. I get we ain't the deepest. We're kind of like the shallow end, man. We keep the cookies on the bottom shelf. That's just kind of how we roll around here. But here's the deal. Don't bring me your BS about you want to go deeper when you can't love God and love people. You master those two things and baby, you go as deep as you want to go. It's impossible to love people when you hate people. So what we're doing this month is we're stepping back, we're breathing, and we're examining why it is we hate people. And the reality is we don't hate people, we hate the actions of people. We don't hate the actions of all people. We hate the actions of some people. And we allow some people to rob us of the joy of loving people. 
So we're talking about different characteristics and different people, and we're talking about how do we deal with those people. The first week we talked about how do you deal with controlling people. How do you deal with people who just want to control your life? They know what's best for your life, and they want to control your life. If you missed that, you can go to the app store, download our message or the podcast or whatever it is on your phone. You can go to actionchurch.tv. You can listen to that. Last week, we looked at how do you deal with hypocritical people? Because you're not going to go to church anywhere where you don't deal with hypocritical people. Oh, by the way, you're not going to go to work and not deal with hypocritical people. You're not going to go to your home and not deal with hypocritical people. You're not going to go to the family reunion and deal with hypocritical people. Everywhere we go, the world is full of hypocrites. But for some reason, the only time we ever talk about it... Barry, I don't know if it sounds really weird out there, but it sounds really weird out here. I don't know if I'm coming through the monitors or something, but it's about to make me pick up this and pull a Johnny Cash and smash it. Today, thank you, Barry, it sounds much better. Sure do love you, Barry. Barry's a superstar here. Every week, steps up and serves. Sometimes runs sound for bands all night, sleeps here in the chairs for about two or three hours and gets up. That's why I always look so rough. I'm just kidding. But today, I think where things are going to get real. We've talked about controlling people. We've talked about hypocritical people. But today is one of those messages that in a group like this, with a group of people who do for others like this group of people does, this is going to be the one that hits home the most, or should I say it hit home the most for me? I'm not one of those guys that sees the devil behind every bush. It's just not the way I'm wired. But make no mistake about it, I very much believe in spiritual warfare. And I have had the week from hell. And really, if I step back and break down my week, it really hasn't been a bad week. I've just been in a funk, and so everything's been magnified, and I couldn't figure out why in this morning I've had a rough morning, and as you can tell, I'm not in the best mood, and I got to thinking about it, and of course it's because this message is going to impact so many people if we put it into place. Since the beginning of the year, I've done something I really have never done at our church, and I said, man, I'm going to preach to just a select few. We did a series on finances, and I told you less than 5% of the people in attendance will put those principles into place and change their life. I understood I was preaching to a select few. In February, I did a series, and I said, I'm preaching to a select few. We're going to talk about how to discover God's purpose for your life. Only a select few were going to listen. Everybody was going to amen it, but only a select few were going to put it into action. Today's one of those messages that will hit home to every person in attendance because it affects every person in attendance. I'm going to talk to you today about the type of people that make me hate people in general like never before. I am going to talk to you about people that, especially in my position, that I allowed for years to control me by their actions. And if I'm not careful today, I still allow them to make me hate people. Today I want to talk to you about how do we deal with needy people. Somebody say amen. <laughs> How do we deal with needy people? Life-sucking, blood-sucking, emotional-sucking people who come along in our life and they grab onto our neck and they literally suck the life out of us. I know none of you deal with people like that. How do we deal 
with needy people because we're all surrounded by needy people. Now, before we get there, let me uh, just lay something out for you. Let me make something crystal clear to you today. As Christ's followers, we are called by God to help those that are in need. We should have a heart for those that are in need. We should have a heart for those that are struggling with hurts and habits and hang-ups. Those that are poor, we should have a heart for those that are outcasts. We should have a heart for those that are in need. And beyond a shadow of a doubt that every resource that we have available to us, we have because God gave it to us, it ought to be used to go back and to help those people that are in need. As God calls us and God empowers us, we should be generous to those that are in need. And maybe you're here today and you know someone who's legitimately in need. Random observation, though. It's amazing to me in my life that I have found out that those that are truly in need are often too embarrassed to ask for help. Those that truly have needs are the ones that will never know about their needs because they won't ask for help. But as Christ followers, we're to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we're to help those that are in need. We should, we should get to the point where those that are genuinely in need know it's easy to come to us and get help. They should know that we're willing to give help. We should have the mindset that God has blessed us and it is with his love that we consider it an honor to help you. And today as we talk about people in need, though, we're not talking about that group of needy people, the people who genuinely need help. We're always going to be the church that helps those who genuinely need help. Today I want to talk to you, though, about those people that I would call overly needy people. Those that you try to help, but it doesn't seem like they try to help themselves. Those that you've helped with the same issue over and over and over and over and over and over and you're four years into helping them or you're three months into helping them and they know what they need to do to get past the thing and help themselves but they refuse to help themselves and in the process they're sucking the life out of you. How do we deal with those people? I read a book this week or I read an excerpt from a book and a guy called them Emotional Vampires. Like I said, they latch on to you. They dig their teeth in. And in the process of them feeding themselves, they're killing you. I broke needy people down into four categories today. I could have probably broke them down into about 50 categories. These are not biblical categories. These are Gary categories. As I examined my life and thought about the needy people who have sucked the life out of me over the years. Let me rephrase that. Let me think about the needy people who have, I have allowed to suck the life out of me. And I broke it down. First of all is those people that are incurably insecure. They're the ones you saw like five minutes ago, and they're wondering if everything's okay between you. Like you just say, hey, are we good? Like, I, I noticed when you walked away, man, you were like this, and, man, I, I didn't hear from you. Hey, man, man, I sent you a text, and God forbid, I know you're at work, and I know you're busy, and I know you got 20 kids, but you didn't respond to my text. Hey, are, are we good? Like, you didn't jump immediately. Are, are we good? Did I do something to make you mad? 
I, I guess we're just not friends anymore. I haven't heard from you in 24 hours. Are, are we good? Are, are we okay? Hey, did, did I do something to hurt your feelings? Hey, man, can I just talk to you for a minute? Yeah, what's up? We good? Yeah, yeah, man, we're good. Why? I, I just noticed you walked past me in the lobby and didn't say anything. Oh, the lobby that had 100 people in it, and I was walking to go get something real quick because the countdown timer was going, and I had 30 seconds to get back, and I'm sorry that I didn't stop to stroke your ego to make you feel better because you're so insecure about your relationship with everyone that I didn't take time to pamper you and make you feel better. Those type of people. You just ain't called and checked up on me. You know, those friends that, man, is there, is there just something valuable about friends? That you cannot talk to for weeks and months because life is busy. And you reconnect with those people. And it's like you never missed out on those people. Those people that, man, at different times in your life, you're in different stages in life, and you just kind of drift apart, not necessarily in a bad way. But when the, you sail back together, you're like, man, so you never missed a beat. As opposed to those people in your life that just drain the life out of you. They invite you over. They invite a group of people over and just, you can't make it. You honestly can't make it. I just, I just thought you'd be here. Uh, are you, I, I would have loved to have been there. But, you know, again, we, we have a lot going on and blah, blah, blah. Weekends are kind of hard for us. And, you know, every other weekend we have this many kids in the house. And on weekends we don't have kids. Now we have this many kids in the house. Man, it's not anything personal to you. It's just, man, we couldn't make it this morning. But you can make it all about you. And you just feel your life being sucked out of you. There's overly needy people. There's drama queens. Everything, no matter how small it really is, is blown out of proportion. They make big deals out of little things. You're never going to guess what happened to me. What happened? Someone pulled out in front of me. Oh. This happened. It's the worst thing ever. Everything is drama. They call you all about everything. You're like, God, is that really a drama situation? Or is that just a life situation? But they want you to hear about it and they suck the life out of you. The blabbers. The blabbers. Blah, 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 blah. The people in your life who just never ever shut up I'm watching a couple of you blab right now out in the crowd you can't even sit through the service without blabbing <laughs> blabbers are crazy because they'll come to you and talk to you about people you've never met and they can't just blabbers are the people that have a 20 second story that takes 45 minutes to tell You'll never guess what happened to me at work the other day. What? You think it's going to be something like Sally, blah, 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 and then Megan, blah, 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 and then Karen, blah, blah, and then Karen said this, and Sally said this, and Megan said this, and Sally said this, and then Sally got mad, and, Kenny, and you're like, I don't even know these people and don't even care about this story. Why are you telling me about it? But they're so needy. They've got to come to you and tell you everything, and you're not trying to be mean, but you're like, I don't have 45 minutes for this story. I literally have people like that in my life that I know if I'm going to come in contact with this person, I have to make sure that I have the time 
to be in contact with this person. Because if I'm not have the time, they're then going to get their feelings hurt because they're so needy. Man, hey, that's a great story. And I actually have heard that story four times from you already. You probably forgot, though, because you tell so many people. And I don't want to hear it again. Blabbers. Where you out? Oh, man, the, the financial leeches. These aren't just people who have genuine needs. These are people who have financial needs generally because of their poor decision-making. You know, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I'm always in need. Nobody pays me a good salary. I'm not getting what I deserve. (laughs) And what's funny about the people who are kind of financial leeches, as a lot of times you look at their life and they live a better lifestyle than you live. They drive a nicer car than you drive. Got a newer phone than you got. Always got smokes. Like, like they got money for what they need. Excuse me, back that up. They got money for what they want. Drives me crazy. I deal with the financial leeches a lot around here. And I don't mean in this crowd. I just mean a lot here. If I'm ever here at this building, someone's going to walk up, don't have groceries for the food, don't have this. But what's funny is they have money for a $3.50 energy drink. They have, I don't even know. Who, who smokes out there? I'm not trying to say. Brandon, how much a pack of cigarettes? $6? How many cigarettes come in that? You know why I don't care that Brandon smokes? Because he's never hit me up for money. You know what I mean? Well, you know, they ain't got any money, but they got a pack of cigarettes, and, you know, they got a brand new car, and, man, they got the latest Jordans. But they ain't got groceries. Financial leeches. I know what you're saying, Gary. You're being insensitive. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just acknowledging the elephant in the room, that people like this will suck the life out of you. They will literally suck the life out of you. And what we want to do is, as Christ followers is we want to have a heart full of compassion for those that are in need. What we're supposed to do as Christ followers is have a heart full of compassion for those that are in need. That way we can help people fulfill God's divine call upon their life. But as we talk about overly needy people, we have to acknowledge a word that's involved there. We're supposed to help people. We're called to help people, but people will suck the life out of us because if you give them an inch, they take a mile. And so you have to deal with the tension. Say that word with me, tension. Let's count to three and say it together because I know you are white and uncoordinated and you can't say everything at the same time. And it makes it really sound really bad. I like to hear you say it all at one time. So I'm going to count to three and we're going to say the word tension. One, two, three. Awesome. That tension of where are we supposed to do what God's called us to do and the tension of this emotional vampire sucking the life out of me. The tension of when do we help and when do we not help. The tension that plays out in my life, and as a Christ follower, I want to help someone who's in need, 
Even if they're overly needy, I want to help, so I try to help, but I don't want to train them to become dependent upon me, so I do what I deem is the right amount of help. They deem it's not the right amount of help. They tell me that I don't care, that I'm not meeting their needs, and I feel guilty and try to meet their needs more, and I give more of me than I can give, and I burn myself out in the, in the process, and it's this tension. When do I help? When do I not help? The tension. Anybody who has overly needy people in your life and you have a heart to help, you deal with that tension. And when we don't deal with the tension in either area, we go to the other side of the road, which is extreme. We go to the extreme where we help them so much that it sucks us dry. And here's the deal. You can't help people if you're not healthy. Or you go to where I was the other day. I told Chris, I said, I'm done helping people. I said, I don't think I will ever allow someone to get close to me again and I will help people because of a situation that I'm dealing with. Now, here's the question. Was it that person's fault or was it my fault for allowing them to do that to me? It was my fault because I'm not responsible for their actions. They're overly needy. Why would I expect them to live a life that's biblical? I am responsible for my life. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. So if I'm going to be healthy I, and, or, and I'm not going to get to the point where I hate people, I, is Phil in here? Phil, Anybody? Carrie, is there anybody in the band in here? Why are there cookies on the stage? Who made cookies and gave out cookies, and why don't I have any? <laughs> like, seriously, there's cookies here, and cookies there, and cookies here. Like, who made cookies? And why is there only two cookies? Is there something special about the cookies that I don't know? Because two cookies would just irritate me unless they were special cookies. You made cookies? No. Phil made cookies. So, Oh, then they're probably special cookies. That would explain why me as the pastor don't have cookies. I'm not quite as irritated anymore. Awesome. If you want some special cookies. Man. Thank you. And how come you got so many cookies? There's like four cookies in your bag. Is your life that stressful? I'm not eating a cookie. I've done that before from this crowd. So, the tension. How do we deal with the tension? You eat a cookie. You want to do what you're supposed to do. But you're afraid you may do too much. You're afraid you might not do enough. And where's the balance in all of this? Would encourage you at all. If I showed you from the life of Jesus that he dealt with the same thing. The Bible says this in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is out ministering and there's crowds of people all around him. He looks out and he sees the, the people. And he looks out and he realizes, man, they're lost and they have no direction and they have no purpose. And the Bible says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The King James says he was moved with compassion. And that's a very important phrase. He shows compassion for them because they were scattered and they were weary and they were like sheep that have no shepherd. If you've ever been out in a field and seen a field full of sheep and there's no shepherd out there, they're going every which direction. They're running into each other. They're going into places that are dangerous for them. But when a shepherd's out there, the shepherd knows how to corral the sheep and keep them going in the right direction. And he looked out there and he saw them. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. And, and that word moved, 
literally means, it's a very action-packed little word. It, it, it almost means a movement from the intestines. He was moved with compassion. It means deep from within, he was moved. It, it means deep in his soul, he looked out and he was broken overseeing the people. It, it means he had a sympathy and an inward affection. He had a tender mercy. In, in this language, there was no more powerful word to use than this word. From deep in his soul, he was moved. And he was moved with compassion over these people who were in need. If you're writing stuff down, write this down today. Jesus cared more than anyone else who ever lived. Jesus cared so much that he gave his life for the world. Jesus cared for those who were in need more than anyone who ever lived. But here's the tension. As much as Jesus cared, as much as Jesus wanted to help those in need, Jesus cared more than anyone who ever lived or ever who will live. Yet here's the deal. Jesus did not help everybody he did not heal everyone who had a sickness he did not raise everyone from the dead he did not come along and perform miracles every time he was around a crowd of people that's the tension here's a man who loves more than he could ever love but the bible also there's a verse in the bible where jesus is walking and a lady reached out and said just having touched him of his garment and we touched him of his garment jesus said he felt the power leave from him jesus knew that every time he poured into someone else it gave a little bit of himself and he knew he couldn't help everyone along the way. He wanted to help. He helped. He loved more than anyone. He'd heal some, but he wouldn't heal everyone. <laughs> he didn't grant every request. And, and that's the tension as we deal with people who are needy. We have to leave some room for the voice of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. We have to leave some room in our life for the leading and the calling of saying, is this a person that I'm to invest in? Is this a person that I need to help with? Listen, we live in a day and time we want everything to be black and white, but there is no black and white answer when it comes to who you should help and who you should not help. All I can tell you is this. You need to make sure you're healthy, and as you're healthy... And as you're walking with God, as God leads you, you help. I've been in many situations. I've met, I, I have actually dealt with much drama here at this church. Surprise. From people in this church who were moved to help somebody in a certain way. That I wasn't moved to help in a certain way. The one who was moved to help in a certain way was not wrong because the Holy Spirit of God had moved them to help. That being said, I was not wrong because I didn't feel moved to help. The Holy Spirit of God in my life had not spoken to me about that person. The Holy Spirit of God had not moved me in that person. I might have known more details about that person than you knew about, or you might have known more details than I've known about. And so what you've got to do is you can't get mad as God moves in people's life on who we're to help. We've got to be sensitive to the moving. But you cannot help everyone if you truly want to love everyone. Let me rephrase, I mean, let's say it again. You can't help everyone if you want to love everyone. Because if you help everyone who comes along in your life, you're going to fry yourself out. You're going to short-circuit your own self. And when you're not healthy, you can't help somebody else become healthy. Hello. 
Self-care. I need to do a series on self-care because I suck at it. Man, we need to do a series on self-care because as we take care of ourselves, when I'm healthy, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, man, when, when my, my, my cups are full, I can pour out nonstop. But here's the problem. As I'm pouring out, I get so busy helping others that I'm not helping myself. So I'm pouring out, and it's draining and draining and draining and draining. All of a sudden, I'm low, and now you want something, and, and, and I'm trying to give you something, and I can't give you something I don't have. Jesus understood this over and over and over and over and over and over. You see Jesus leaving the crowds of people and going to rest. There's a, there's a story where there's a crowd of people around. Jesus teaching. He looks at his house and says, I'm going to rest. I'm like, what about these people? And Jesus looks and says, I'm going to rest. Jesus understood something. Do you know the biggest sin any of us commit? Let me read Matter of fact, do you know the sin that I'm willing to bet 100% of us are willing to, not willing to commit, we do commit? I need to do it. I've never in 20 years done a sermon on this, probably because I don't live it out. There's not a person in this room I'm willing to bet who keeps the Sabbath. Say, what's the Sabbath? It's one of the big ten. It means you take a day off. It means you unplug for a day. You, you recharge yourself for a day. I don't have time. To, you're right. It was important enough for God. He created everything in six days and on the seventh day rested. But you can get by without doing it. Ain't nobody going to amen that. Because it sucks. I don't take a Sabbath. I get convicted about a Sabbath and do it for like a week. I wonder if so many of the emotional problems, I mean, this ain't even my story, I wonder if so many of the emotional problems that we have in life stem from the fact that we don't unplug one day a week. It says he's created the earth, and he created the water, and he created the animals in Genesis, and he created humans, and he spoke it all into his instant, and on the seventh day, he rested. The creator of the universe rested, and we think we can get away with it. I just don't have time. You don't have time to take Facebook off your phone one day a week? You, you, you don't have time to not check your email one day a week? You don't have time to take care of yourself one day a week for six days of the week you can pour into other people? That's how arrogant we are. That's how cocky we are. That we think we can get by with something that God can't get by with. Oh, let me get back to my sermon. So what we want to do as Christ followers is we want to help people without enabling people. When people are overly needy, even when they're well-meaning, we can, even when we're well-meaning, we can train them to become overly dependent upon us. And so what we want to do is we want to come along, we want to help people without enabling people. So as you feel led by the Holy Spirit of God to help people, even the people you feel led to help, you need to learn boundaries with them. Because even those people you feel led to help will suck the life out of you. I am Gary Lamb, 
and I am the king of allowing people to suck the life out of me. So I'm not preaching to you today, I'm preaching with you today. Dare I say I'm kind of in a funk right now because I've allowed someone to suck the life out of me. And I'm irritated as hell about it. Because I, I didn't put my own boundaries in place with this individual. And because I didn't, it's made me unhealthy. And that's affected almost every aspect of my life. And here's the funny thing. Once you implement these, on, these boundaries on the people who are sucking the life out of you, they'll make you the bad guy. we need to do we need to learn to offer what they need not what they want the Holy Spirit of God moves in your life and you feel led to come along and help somebody who's overly needy in your life praise God you better move and you better help that person but as you're dealing with them you better set up some boundaries if you're not they're going to lecture onto your neck and suck the life out of you you better look and say what is it this person needs not what they want because when a person is in a state of being overly needy, what they want might actually be the wrong thing. Mm. A great example of this is found in the Scripture in the book of Acts. There's a guy who had been crippled. And he had learned how to function in life as a cripple by begging. And the Bible says he sat at the gate every day and he begged for money. That was the only way in this day and time he was ever going to make money. So he would sit there and he would go to the temple gate. He would take his cup. He would take his bowl or whatever. And he would say, I'm crippled. Would you give me money? And it appears he made it through life doing that. One day, though, he's at the gate and he's asking for money because what he thinks he needs is money. And Peter comes along, and he asks Peter for some money. And Peter stops. And Peter's led by the Holy Ghost of God to help this individual. But Peter, before helping, helped him in a way that he needed help, not in the way that he wanted help. Peter says, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I can give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Here's the deal with this story. Everybody in town knew who Peter was. Peter was a rock star. People knew the ability that Peter had, that the Holy Ghost of God was in his life, and he had the ability to heal people, and that Peter comes along, and the cripple looks at him, and instead of asking for what he needed, he had got so comfortable in his discomfort, the thought of asking for healing never even crossed his mind because he was looking at what he needed today. Today, I need a couple of bucks. Instead of looking at Peter and saying, man, can you heal me? I've heard you can heal in the name of Jesus Christ. This man had become so surrounded and so immersed in his need that he was consumed by his want instead of getting his need healed. Peter could have looked at him and threw what he wanted in the cup. And guess what would have happened to that man? The next day he'd been back at the gate begging. The next day he'd have been in the same situation he was today. Peter looked at him and said, this guy doesn't need some money. This guy needs to be able to walk. And I can give him what he needs, and that's better than what he wants. This is the classic example of giving a hand up instead of a hand out. <clears throat> he did not give this guy what he wanted. He gave him what he needed through the power of God. He provided healing 
for this individual. When a person is overly needy in your life, so many times they'll often want something and they'll actually believe with everything that is in them, this is the best thing for me. But the truth of the matter, God may be giving you insights and that's not what they need. When Christina and I first hooked up, Emily was very young at that age. And as you can imagine, any kid going through a divorce, that's a tough time. At that time in her life, her dad was making some decisions that were not the best decisions. In the last five years, he has made some drastic changes in his life. He has made some great decisions, and therefore, he gets to spend more time with him. At that time, Emily didn't understand. And she didn't understand why she couldn't go stay with her dad more. And she didn't understand why she couldn't be with her dad more. And what she wanted was to be with her dad more. She didn't understand that's not what she needed. But it's her dad. It don't matter. We knew what was best for her. We knew that the environment was not safe for her. We knew that his condition was not safe for her. So we did not give her what she wanted. We gave her what she needed. I was out walking my dog one time. This is probably about 12 years ago on a trail. And all of a sudden the dog rears up and I hear that rattle. And I look up and there's a rattlesnake in front of me. And my dog was stupid and wanted to play with the rattlesnake. That's what the dog wanted to do. My dog didn't look and say, man, that's a rattlesnake and it's going to bite me. And when it bites me, I'm going to die. Now look, he just said, man, look at that fun little rattlesnake. I got a toy like that at home and I want to play with that. And he's jumping all around. That's what he wanted. You think I let him play with the rattlesnake? Uh-uh. It's not what he needed. And I didn't need that either. I didn't need the vet bill. He's a heavy dog. I wasn't carrying him back to the car. <laughs> so many times people want something, especially needy people, that they think will help them because all they're thinking about is the moment instead of the long-term needs. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of practical points in this. The first thing you need to do when you're dealing with people like this is you need to identify the real need. When you decide by the Holy Spirit of God to help someone who's in need, you need to step back, you need to evaluate, you need to observe, you need to do what the Bible says, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Maybe you need to go talk to some other people involved in the situation, and you need to come to the conclusion, what is the genuine need here? Ask God to reveal it to us. I just, I just want you to spend more time with me. That's what they want, but maybe what they need is to find some more friends because you're married and you got kids and you got a job and you can't be there for them 24-7. See, there's a difference between a want and a need. I just need help with this 400 something dollar a month car payment. Hmm. That may be something they want, but what they need is, is maybe they need to get another job to help pay for the $400 car payment. Or better yet, maybe they need to get rid of the car that has the $400 car payment and go buy a $1,000 car where they can get back and forth from work. Three people got that. You see what I'm saying? What they want and what they need are two different things. I, I, I just need somebody to make me feel special. You're the only one who can make you feel special. What you need to teach them is not find someone to make them feel special. You need to teach them what they need, and what they need is to find their identity in Christ and how Christ makes them feel special. 
You see what I'm saying here? We're going to identify what the need is because I can't help you if I don't know what the need is. I can't help you based on your wants because chances are real good your wants aren't what you need. Vital. The next thing we're going to do when it comes to helping someone in need as they learn what they need and not what they want is we're going to pay attention to their actions and not just their words. You're led by the Holy Spirit of God to help someone, you better help them. But you better learn to offer what they need and not what they want. And one of the reasons you can assess what they need instead of what they want is pay attention to their actions and not their words. I just can't get a good job. But their actions are saying, you ain't even looked for a job. Let me tell you my freaking pet peeve. I got a lot of them. But this one flies all over me. Is when someone isn't working, and you tell them about a job, and they have the nerve to look at you and say, I'm worth more than $10 an hour. No, you're not, baby. You're freaking unemployed. You ain't worth more than $10 an hour. You're worth what anybody's willing to pay you. And last time I checked, $400 is better than no dollars. I, I just, I, I need a job. But their actions are saying, I'm too good to go play at the fast food restaurant down there. Or I need a job. But every freaking time you tell them about a job, they have some reason why that job wouldn't be the right fit, even though they haven't went to that job. Where's Faye Boyle? Say man, Faye. How many people have you sent to your work? I watch her all the time. My job's hired. My company's hired. My company's hired. My company's hired. And I watch nonstop excuses. Then be unemployed. What you really want is a handout. Talk is cheap. When you look at their actions, nobody will go out with me. I just can't get a date. But their actions say, really, the problem's not that they won't go out with you. The problem is you haven't taken a bath, and you don't use deodorant, and you don't got a job, and you ain't brush your teeth in a month. I j- All right, this is my favorite one, ladies. I just can't find a good man. But you don't go anywhere where any good men are. And when you find a good man, most of the time you put him in the friend zone. woman. Where are you meeting women at the bar? No, I ain't saying every bad one, every one at the bar is bad. But I'm just simply saying when their actions don't line up with their words, there's an issue. Your job is to protect yourself when it comes to helping other people. I believe with everything that is in me the seriousness of this message. I don't believe there will, there will be anything that destroys your love for people like not having boundaries with needy people. Last week I preached on hypocrites. You know what? I don't got to have boundaries with hypocrites because I don't give two craps about them. Ah, they're hypocrites. I understand that affects some people. 
but it doesn't affect me. Even controlling people, I'm a pretty hard person to control. So it doesn't really affect me in that huge way. But I'm telling you, there ain't a person here today because this is a good-hearted group of people that isn't trying to help needy people and those needy people because you don't know boundaries are sucking the life out of you. We need to learn to offer what they need, not what they want. Second thing I just said, we must offer, we must set healthy boundaries. We must set healthy boundaries. You're the only one who can set boundaries in your life. My wife went through a stage a couple of years ago where she was setting boundaries, and the boundaries were irritating me. They weren't involving me. They were involving other people. And I used to get mad about the boundaries that she was setting, and I won't go into details of that. And then I began to realize, who am I to tell her what boundaries she needs for her to stay healthy? They're her boundaries. Her boundaries don't affect me. Just because she's the pastor's wife doesn't mean she can't block somebody on Facebook. If she feels like that person's detrimental to her, she has that boundary she can set. I don't think, I don't care what you think. That's why you're unhealthy because you're dealing with needy people who are sucking the life out of you and we're trying to learn how to be healthy and have boundaries. Very, Very early in the morning, Mark, one, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. You've got to go. <laughs> She's like, I ain't going. I need a break. I know my mental state right now. That's what's so powerful about Jesus. Man, he was as human as you and I are. People drove him crazy. <laughs> like, I'm down with a God that people drove him crazy. Like, I didn't believe he, like, he wanted to pimp slap some people. It won't say that's the Gary Lamb version when I translate the Bible one day. That's what it'll say. But people drove him crazy. And he knew that if he didn't go off into solitary for a little bit, have some time for himself, that, hey, the pimp hand was going to be heavy, and he's going to start knocking some people down. When I get in the moods like I'm in today, you know what I know? It's probably because I haven't been putting the boundaries in my life and going where I need to go. I can't stress this enough. You must protect your sanity in order to deal with other people's insanity. Hello, let me repeat that. I didn't even know that was in my notes. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. That's like, that's like Gary quote stuff right there. You must protect your sanity if you're going to deal with other people's insanity. Mm. People think because I'm the pastor of Action Church, they get 24-7 access to me. You must have the pastor mistake with the Waffle House. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Happened this last week. Somebody sends me a private message. I check it real quick. I'm not in a position to respond. I check it real quick. But God knows it said read. Read. So they saw that I read it. Thurman said, I guess you're not going to answer me. You just don't care. <sighs> I actually did care when you sent it. I just wasn't in a position to answer you. Now I don't care, and I never responded. And I saw him walk in today, so now you know why I didn't respond. I used to live my life 24 hours a day access. Now here's the deal. As your pastor, if something goes on in your life at 3 o'clock in the morning that is an emergency, you're in a car wreck, you're something, guess what, I'm going to get my clothes on, I'm going to be there. 
but I, I don't need you to call me because you're having a rough day. You don't get unlimited access to me. That might not be popular, but I believe if more pastors learn that it wouldn't be the highest field in the world for burnout. I read this week that 17,000 pastors, 17,000 leave ministry every year, never to return. <laughs> I have some boundaries in my life. You know one of my boundaries? I don't counsel people. Many of you come to me and say, can you counsel me? I don't counsel people. I'm not a counselor. I haven't been trained to be a counselor. Here's my counseling philosophy. Build a bridge and get over it. Say I'm not a good counselor. I recently felt led to reach out to somebody that was going through a hard time. And my wife was like, you're not reaching out to that person? I said, why? Because I know how you'll reach out to them. I said, yeah, but I think I can help this person. I feel led. She's like, you are not reaching out to that person. I said, maybe that person needs what I'm going to bring to the table. They don't. I listened to my wife. About five weeks later, that person came to me. Guess what I found out? That person did not need what I was selling. Because when I tried, even at a lower level, because I knew my wife had told me to come at it and bring it just a low, low level, they weren't receiving what I needed to bring. And I had to back up and go, ooh, I don't counsel, remember? Now what I'll do is I'll meet with someone one time. I'll hear what your need is. And then I know about three or four counselors in the community, and based on what your need is, I'm going to say, here's the best counselor for you to go to. But here's the reason why most people don't want to do that, because they really don't want counseling. They want a freebie. They want to come here, verbally vomit on someone. But they don't really want to spend the money because it's not important enough for them to get help for their issue. Mm, did I say that? There's moments I ask myself, how much realness should I give? But I think this is a great example of a story on boundaries. So some of you can run back and make your phone calls and send your texts afterwards. But it'll be online, and this person can listen to it. And I would say the same thing to their face. We recently took in a toddler whose dad was struggling with addiction. The issue became not that we took in the toddler, but that this individual and everybody in this individual's life thought they could stop by our house anytime they wanted to because we had their toddler. You can't. We have four other kids. We have our own life. I didn't agree to take you in and your mom in and your family in. I agreed to take in your toddler. So we set boundaries with this individual on five different occasions. How about this time? At this time, you can come over and you can spend the time or I'll meet you here at this time. On five different occasions, because it always changed and why they couldn't make it, we set five different times. 75% of the time, that person never showed up at those things. Yet a lot of you love to run your mouth and be like, oh my God, they won't let so-and-so see their baby. No, no, no. We just set boundaries for our own sanity. You come raise somebody else's child. You drop almost $5,000 because they don't have a shard of clothes. They don't have a bed. They don't have anything for six months. You potty train them. You feed them. And, you wear, and then you let this person run over your life. And again, I'm not trying to air too much because again, it's all been aired. That's the only example I know. You know how we've got through the six months? Because we had boundaries. I think you're revealing too much and I won't be back. That's okay. You won't be the first to leave over the issue. That's how strongly I feel about boundaries. 
I try to give you real life examples because I want them to connect with you. It don't get much more real than that. Now, did that mean we didn't love that individual? Nope. But it meant we loved us and our family more. I tell every single, I think I've told Brandon, I think I've told you this. There's a guy that leads our meeting over here. I see him at the gym all the time. I tell him all the time, I say, I'm so proud of you for how you're helping people. You better set boundaries. You better have your guard up. It will drive you nuts. Having unli- And listen, people that needy people will drain you. A lot of times they're needy heirs that they think you need, that they need you so bad. That it wasn't even something they need you that bad, but they suck the life out of you. And all of a sudden now they're calling you. You're trying to work. You can't work because you're dealing with them. Or, hey, you can't be with your wife because you're dealing with them. Or you can't spend time with your own kids because you're dealing with these. Because here's the deal. These needy people have no respect for you. So if you don't respect your own boundaries, why would they? Mm. I used to never give my cell phone number out to anybody. That was my boundary. Then I had this amazing revelation. It was earth-shattering. That I don't have to take every phone call that comes in on my phone. I am the pastor. I feel like people ought to be able to get in touch with me. I'm never down here. I ain't checked that voicemail over there in probably 10 months. Ain't no telling what's on there. Probably someone wanted to write some million dollar check and I didn't return the phone call. So they need to have access to me. But you know what I've learned now? When they call, that red button says decline. They can leave a voicemail. I can then listen to the voicemail and be like, oh, yeah, that's a serious thing. I need to stop everything and go call them. Or you know what? They don't need me to call them right now. I said I'm spending the time with my family today. We've got a lady in this church. I, I, I don't think they're here today. We have a lady and her husband that just found out he had cancer. And, um, man, that was heartbreaking to me. And when she called me, I did what I always do. Boop. Voicemail. About two minutes later, I had time. I listened to the voicemail. I was in the middle, had my whole day planned out. I called Christian. I said, I got to change my day. She said, why? I said, so-and-so has cancer. I need to get down to Kennestone. See, my boundary was I didn't have to take the phone call. But once I heard it, because of my boundaries, I was allowed to change my schedule around and go because it was a legitimate need. When there's legitimate needs with overly needy, not that this person's overly needy, but when there's overly needy people, you can respond to them. But when you respond to everything, you'll kill yourself. You'll wear yourself out. <laughs> but I tell you something that we take a lot of heat for, and it drives me crazy. I just got into it. I was at the gym working out three months ago, and this guy calls me. He runs a big nonprofit here. And he called me and said, I need to talk to you. He calls me every freaking year. I said, what do you need to call me about? I knew what it was about. Just don't like how you operate that shelter. Okay, what don't you like? I just think you ought to let them stay there all day and do this and do that and do this and do that. Good for you. But we don't do that. Here's why. We have boundaries with the shelter. They can check in at a certain time, and they check out at a certain time. We learned early on the first year when they got to hang out all day long, they hung out all day long. There was no motivation to go out and get a job. There was no motivation to get on their feet. They just hung out all day long and sucked the life out of us. We're not a hotel. We're a shelter. And so we have boundaries with our shelter. And you know what happens because of the boundaries we have with our shelter? We've now been doing it for six years. 
years very effectively. Because there's boundaries with the shelter. We don't compromise on the boundaries. Chris, I remember this year, there was one time Chris didn't have to say, hey, I'm, I'm good, I'm blah, blah. Man, you want me to open the shelter? I said, what time is it? Struck, I said, no. The shelter opens at five. Well, there's a couple of people out here. That's well, okay. You go take care of yourself for the next two hours. Because the minute they come in, you're on 24, baby. You can't take off. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't leave them for a second. I said, they know to be here at 5 o'clock. I just seems to go, no, no, it's called boundaries. They respect the boundaries. And the boundaries work. When the Holy Spirit of God moves you to help people, you better have boundaries with people. And the boundaries are not for them. They're for you, where you don't grow to hate people. We need to set time boundaries. We need to set time boundaries. How many of you have come to me? Don't got to raise your hand, but so many of you have come to me and said, can we meet? And what I look at you and say, mm-hmm. I got 30 minutes on this day. I got 45 minutes on this day. Yeah, man, I can meet you. I got about an hour on this day. I let you know ahead of time how much time I have. Because my life is crazy. I don't have five hours. If you need a five-hour meeting, I got to schedule a five-hour meeting with you. You need to set time boundaries. There's times you need to set time boundaries with people on how long you're willing to help them. Hey, man, I'm going to help you get caught up on some bills. I mean, I'm willing to do this for three months. At the end of three months, I need you to be in this position, in that position. If they're not, then you cut it off. Set your boundaries. You need to set resource boundaries. There's going to be times you feel led to help people with your time, your talents, your treasures. But you better set healthy resource boundaries. Here's my limit on where I'm going to help you. You're doing it for yourself. Third, we've got to get out of here. Oh, this one's hard. We need to allow them to face their consequences. That one sucks. As someone who loves people, this one breaks my heart. I hate it. I hate it. Consequences. We live in a day and time where I think we love people so much that we don't want them to feel the pain of their consequences and we rob them of a natural part of God's system. As difficult as it may be, consequences are a part of restoration. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There's consequences for our actions. We reap what we sow. If you sow according to your sinful nature, you reap according to your sinful nature. This is hard. One of the most loving things you can do with overly needy people is not interrupt God's natural consequences to their wrong decisions. Don't miss this. Consequences are not punishment. Consequences, if done biblically, lead to restoration. Great example of that's in Luke 15. It's 
parable of the prodigal son. I love that story. I've preached on it a million times. It's my favorite story. Many of you gave your life to Jesus. I had a guy come up to me this week and said, man, I gave my life to Jesus. My previous year, he goes, I'll never forget, he goes, you preached on the prodigal son. I said, man, it's, it's my sugar stick. <laughs> and the guy has two sons. And one of the sons decides he wants to take the inheritance and go off and be wild and crazy. You think the father thought that was a good idea? You think the father knew what was going to happen? But the son went. And guess what happened when the son went? He lost everything. Had no friends and he was laying in a pig pen eating food that the pigs were eating. And guess what never happened? Daddy never showed up to bail him out. Daddy never came and said, I told you so, come on. Daddy never said, man, can I, can I wire you some more money? I'm going to put you up in an extended stay for seven days. Because that seven days will help you. Dad never came along and begged the son to do something the son didn't want to do. And as the son's laying in the pig pen, <laughs> man, this dad was smart. I, I'm a dad. I, 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 oh, it must have sucked. The thought of my kids hurting sucks. I want to do whatever I can to protect them. But this dad was wise enough to let his son hit bottom. And when he hit bottom, he was dealing with the consequences. And I love this phrase. Luke 15, the Bible says, Suddenly he came to his senses. He's laying there in the pig pen. Nobody's bailed him out. Nobody's helped him. Nobody's dealt with him. No one's fed him. Daddy hasn't come along and said, it's okay, you made a horrible decision. Let me make it right. Who can I pay off? Instead of you dealing with the consequences, as he laid there face down in a pig pen, eating pig slop, he came to his senses. He said, I can go home and be a servant at dad's house and live better than this. Even my father's servants have better food than this. And the consequences for his actions <laughs> led him back to his father's house. Now when he came home, the father was there with his arms wide open. I believe with everything that is in me, had the dead went and bailed him out, six months later he'd have went out again. And he'd have bailed him out, and a year later, he'd have went out again. But he's laying there in the pig slop, dealing with the consequences. <laughs> Some of you right now, man, you're dealing with the con. I'm dealing with consequences of sinful decisions. <laughs> Some of you are still living your sinful decisions, and you'll come to your senses. But somebody's got, they can't bail you out. Rescuing isn't always helping. Let them hit bottom. Rescuing someone from their consequences isn't helping. Moms, dads, good friends. Sometimes the most biblical and loving thing you can do is step back and let them deal with the consequences 
of their actions. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see you go through this. But you made your bed, and you're going to have to lie in it. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. The minute you stop rescuing someone you've rescued in the past, they're going to turn on you. You don't want me anymore. I thought you were my friend. I thought you're the one person who'd be there for me no matter what. (laughs) And you're going to have to make a very bold decision to say, you know what? I do love you. And because I love you, you've got to figure this one out on your own. It's tough love. And there's times that tough love is the best love. You've got a child and they're dating that wrong person, man. Ooh, I ain't dealt with that yet. I've only had one that even dates. And you know they're the wrong person. And everything about them is the wrong person. But the minute you tell them it's the wrong person, you're just going to push them more into their arms. You've got to step back and let them deal. And when they come along and that person hurts them because you know they're going to hurt them, you've got to let them embrace the pain. You gotta let them deal with the suck. You gotta let them deal with the consequences for their actions because it's the only way they're gonna learn. But we don't wanna do that. We wanna bail them out. I'm, I'm, I, I know, but they left this person. They got nowhere to go. So I, I, I'm, I'm gonna put them up in this apartment over here for three months. I'm gonna take care of them. I, I, I'm just gonna get them caught up on their bills. And then we wonder why they never grow up and why now we have 25 year old man children. Because you've treated them like men children. I love you and I'm praying for you. And I'm rooting for you. But figure it out. Deal with the consequences. You got that roommate and they can't get their tail out of bed and go to work. And you wake them up every day to go to work. They're grown adults. Every day, come on, get up. Come on, go catch the bus. Come on, come on, my 16-year-old junior child. Come on, get up. You got to catch the bus. Let them miss the bus. Let them fail out of school. I, I can't let them. Why? It might be the wake-up call for them. Or you can keep babying them, and you can keep pampering them, and you can keep waking them, and guess what? They'll depend on it forever. Well, if they lose their job, they can't pay rent, then guess what? Throw them out. You're watching somebody, man, and they're just charging everything. And you're like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Do you realize what you're doing? You've got to let them deal with the consequences of it. I never, you know how there's just certain things in your life you remember? At 33 years old, I imploded my life. And I remember calling my mother... And I remember it. I can can hear the tone in her voice. She said, I love, first words out of her mouth. Not how you doing while you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. I love you. I hope you don't think you're coming to live here. (laughs) First of all, I wasn't. But when she said that to me, Excuse my shit guy real. 
Because at the end of the day, I never thought about going back to mom's. But it's mom's. She's got a big old house. Got a full basement downstairs. I lived in it all my life. She's actually put a kitchenette down there for my grandmother. My grandmother doesn't live there anymore. Wait a minute. Why can't I go back there, mommy, and you bail me out? But she didn't. And I wallowed in my crap. And I dealt with the consequences. And years later, I asked my mom. Me and my mom have a weird relationship. But I asked her, I said, Mom, what was it like to watch me go down that road? And I remember. She said it was the hardest thing I ever did to know I didn't know where you were sleeping at night. But I knew you wouldn't learn any other way. I don't know that. I've got to be honest. It's Ashlyn, Avery, Emily, Luke. I don't know. That's hard. It's hard. But rescuing isn't always helping. Sometimes it is. You've got to be led by the Spirit. Sometimes it is. Back to that word. It's that tension. That's why you've got to be healthy. Because when you're healthy, you can make healthy decisions. There's times you've got to come rescue. And there's times you've got to let them fall. Hmm. You want to help them. It's somebody you love. Some of you, man, some of you are parents to your parents. And you're watching them implode. It's like role reversal. And you've got to let them implode. I want to close out with this. Here's what you need to remember about when it comes to helping people. First of all, you can't help everyone. You've got to be led by the Spirit. When you're led by the Spirit, do the things I gave you. Last of all is this. Jesus is the Savior, not you. You arrogant person. You cocky, egotistical person that thinks you can change somebody's life. You can't. Jesus can. Quit trying to be something you're not, the Savior. Don't ever lose your passion to want to help people. I, I, I am convinced that emotion to want to help people is what separates humans from animals. We should always want to help. But you've got to protect yourself in the process. I'm telling you in this crowd... If there was ever a message you went to your phone and downloaded, because we only keep up the last 10 weeks, and 10 weeks it'll be gone, you need to download this one. You need to go back and look over these notes, because this is a life-changing message for so many of you. Because what's going to happen, you're not going to do it. And you're going to get to the point where the thought of helping people, any people, makes you sick to your stomach. And you're going to grow to hate people, which is so unbiblical, which is so contrary to God's word. And it's not people's fault you hate them. 
It's your fault because you didn't set boundaries.